What is holy to you? And what does the word holy even mean? The dictionary definition is dedicated to God, belonging to, associated with divine power, worthy of devotion. It is synonym to the word sacred, which means set apart for some special spiritual purpose, consecrated, offered to the Holy One. The word holy in English comes from the same root as heal. It suggests a quality of completeness, fullness, and wholeness. For me, the word holy evokes both longing and awe. Do you experience it sometimes in a conversation, a silence, a place, in nature, in an encounter with a person, in worship or art, in suffering or the work to relieve it? The word suggests a quality of attentiveness, awareness, and also of intention, prayerfulness and openness to God's presence, willingness to be surprised by the unexpected way God comes. Underlying today's gospel is the commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What's at stake here? Sabbath is the seventh day, the day of completion. This is not the worship day for Christians, for we keep Sunday for worship, the Lord's day, the day of resurrection, the first day or the eighth day. The Sabbath is the day when God rested after the labor of making the world. The commandment to keep Sabbath is given on Sinai, given to the ragtag bunch of former slaves that Moses has led out of bondage in Egypt. As such, it is a revolutionary commandment. It's addressed to a people whose lives have previously been completely determined by others, who have been required to work without ceasing. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, not you, nor your family or household, or your animals, or the aliens who reside within your gates. So this is a moment of liberation. The Sabbath holds up the importance of simply being, the preciousness of existence. It is, in fact, being like God, who rested, who saw all that was made and delighted in it and called creation very good. For the Israelites, Sabbath was for rest, and it also required trust, and for that matter, planning, so that, for example, food would be available to be enjoyed on that day without having to do any preparatory work. And while we may not keep Sabbath in the same way as our ancient forebears, there are few things we need more or find harder than resting deeply. 
resting in God, just letting be, giving thanks for what is rather than anguishing over not having enough. In a culture like ours, in which so often we are what we do, when we are valued for how productive we are and how much money we make, Sabbath-keeping is radical indeed. In making the day holy, we are invited to delight in the goodness of creation and to make space for praise, to let new life spring from deep rest, to let what is be enough, to stop long enough to sense what Hopkins called the dearest freshness deep down things, the wholeness of the world, the interconnectedness of everything, and the holiness of all life. In Sabbath-keeping, we are called to let ourselves rest, to let others rest, to let the earth herself rest. It is literally essential to our survival. Sabbath is part of a larger rhythm of sacred sevens in Torah, the seventh day, the seventh year, and then the seventh times seven plus one years that becomes the year of Jubilee, the time when debts are forgiven and the land is restored and allowed to lie fallow. Sabbath-keeping is grounded in creation and in liberation, remembering that God, God's very self, rested and delighted in all that was made, and remembering also that God has brought our ancestors out of bondage, out of living to work at the will of others, into freedom, into the opportunity to be, to create, to become a just and beloved community. The gift of Sabbath is for everyone. It's not only for the insiders. It's for the foreigners who happen to be there. It's even for animals. Everyone is offered the necessary gift of rest. I speak at some length about this because when we hear texts like today's gospel, it's easy to caricature what's at stake, as if Sabbath-keeping weren't important, as if Jesus, too, were not steeped in the tradition and the community that held the Torah as holy and precious. We may well have images of our Puritan forebears, maybe not so very long ago for some of us, who sat joylessly on Sunday in scratchy, tight, uncomfortable clothes, unable to do anything remotely interesting or fun, reading the Bible and talking to their boring relatives. Instead, what I hear from observant Jewish friends is about the joy of welcoming Shabbat. They speak about the Sabbath bride, actually. The delight expressed in singing, in prayer, in special food, in a time to focus on loved ones and on beauty. It's a leap of faith sometimes to receive this gift, which is both commandment and spiritual practice and also grace. It's a leap of faith to take a day for rest and praise, because, of course, there's always more to do. 
The temptation to work is real. And that temptation is a slippery slope, which is why only the very simplest life-saving work is permitted by the rabbis. So with that in mind, we turn to this story of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Jesus himself is in the synagogue teaching, keeping the day for worship and reflection on God's word. And a woman, as Luke says, appears. She has been crippled by a spirit of weakness, bound, the text says, for 18 years. I'm struck by the word appears. Does she just pop up out of nowhere? More likely, that's how Jesus suddenly saw her. Such a woman would have been in the very back of the synagogue, out of sight. Bent over, unable to stand up straight, she would be shorter than most of the crowd. Some commentators wonder why she was there at all, impaired by infirmity, stigmatized for gender. Imagine her for a moment, hidden in the midst of the people. Her world is tiny, circumscribed, because she is bent over. She can't straighten her back upright. Without twisting her neck, which may not even twist, she can only see a very small area around her feet. I doubt that she could look at Jesus as he spoke. I tried walking around bent over for just a few minutes. Gave me a sense of how exhausting it might have been for this woman to accomplish even the most basic tasks of daily life. That kind of bending compresses the lungs and stresses the heart, as well as compromising mobility. She doesn't call out or ask for anything. She doesn't draw any attention to herself. Jesus sees her. And so he calls her over to where he is. And in that moment, the focus of the narrative changes completely from this charismatic teacher at the front of the crowd to this non-entity in the back. I imagine her moving forward towards him as the people murmur and part and stare. Maybe Jesus moves to meet her in the middle. Maybe when they meet, he bends over to where her head is and looks her in the face and sees her eyes, sees her even more deeply and is seen in turn. And then he reaches out and touches her. We've spoken before about the taboo against a man touching a woman he's not related to. And in this breathtaking moment, Jesus reaches across that divide and lays his hand on the woman who is bent double. It is a blessing, a connection, a healing, and a liberation. He says, woman, you are free from your ailment. And she stood up straight and began praising God. Let's linger for just a moment on the physical shift from bending over to standing upright.
She rises and stretches all along her body from the tips of her toes to the top of her head. Her spine reaches like a tree for the sun. And she can see so much more. She can see the people around her, the goodness of creation, the need, the grace. Her world is radically expanded, and so are her lungs. And so she finds her voice, and it's a voice of praise. Is she singing? Is she speaking words of gratitude, maybe in poetry? How do you celebrate God's goodness in your body, heart, mind, life, voice? Do you do it in community only or sometimes in solitude when you're overwhelmed? Have you ever simply burst forth in praise and celebration? Sometimes praise is easy and sometimes it's very hard. But it's born of liberation, born of the exodus of freed slaves, born of hearing the good news that we most need to hear, born of this release of a daughter of Abraham. Praise is born of the grace that brings healing and wholeness and even holiness. It may or may not involve the cure of infirmity for all of us are disabled at one time or another. But for sure, praise helps us know that we are part of the good creation, the whole wide world that is held in the love of God. Praise springs spontaneously for the woman in our story. Sometimes it's a practice, too. It's always about gratitude and also about relishing, being amazed and delighted in the love of God. And then there comes a controversy. The religious leader, of course, speaks in defense of time-honored tradition and law. Somewhat passive-aggressively, he speaks not to Jesus, but to the crowd. Sabbath-keeping, he says, is serious. Jesus could surely wait until the next day to heal this woman. And we know that at times Jesus also had to stop and seek much-needed respite from the demands of his ministry. But he responds that this is not ordinary work. This is liberation and grace. It is, in fact, the inbreaking realm of God that makes everything new, and it does not wait. It is not on our timetable. It cannot. It must not wait. After all, the simple work of unbinding is allowed in order to water animals on the Sabbath. How much more vital, says Jesus, is it to free a daughter of Abraham from her infirmity? This is the only time this phrase, a daughter of Abraham, is used in the entire New Testament. It's quite unique to this moment. Jesus is emphasizing that this woman this woman with her long history of infirmity and bondage, this seeming nobody, is a full and precious member of the covenant community, a daughter of Abraham. One commentator notes that what's at stake here is not only Sabbath-keeping, but also control. 
keeping the woman in her proper place. I think there's some truth there. When she moves towards Jesus and he towards her, and even more when she stands upright, this woman takes up a lot more space, and she's no longer constricted by religious, religion, community, or infirmity. Her life is revealed as sacred. Her healing and liberation are a deeply righteous way to keep the Sabbath holy. How could they not lead to the praise of the Holy One? And so we end as we began. What is sacred to you? And how in our lives as individuals and as church do we remember, honor, and make space for the Holy? The text challenges us as people of faith and particularly as religious leaders. Is our community a space of liberation and healing, of grace and openness to the surprising presence of God? Is this a place where the riches of our tradition are both available and life-giving, as all creation is made new? The story particularly challenges us to recognize the holiness of people we are tempted to forget, who are hidden or marginalized. How do we honor the sacredness of women's lives, bodies, and choices? How do we enact what we proclaim, that black lives matter, that immigrants and refugees are welcome here? You know these are signs outside. How do we live them? And especially because this is a story about physical healing, how do we recognize the full and precious humanity of people whose abilities are different than the norm? One commentator puts it very clearly. Are we oriented in all that we do, in our worship and our service, our prayers and our proclamations, toward the vibrant health of the beloved community? Do we truly seek to delight in and foster the flourishing of all God's beloved? In this passage, we are invited to rest deeply in the love of the Holy One, the one who calls us and all creation very good, very good. In that rest, may we find our wholeness, and so may we take heart and stand up to our full height and praise the God of our liberation. And from that praise, who knows what more will flow. Amen.